Welcome to another episode of We Are Carbon. I'm Helen Fisher and I'm joined by Sarah Spencer for a discussion that considers how our connection to nature can have a profound positive impact throughout all areas of our lives. It's easy for us to romanticise the idea of listening to the birds or dipping our toes into a glistening stream, as though experiencing nature might be an infrequent luxury to try and carve time out for. But this talk helps us to recognise that the role of nature in our lives is far more encompassing, and despite our built-up environments and scheduled routines, we are all part of nature, to such a degree that when we introduce aspects that are inspired by nature, or even start to think like nature, then we can enjoy much greater success within everything, from our health, our relationships and our businesses. Think Like a Tree encompasses Sarah's work as a trainer and author and draws upon the principles of nature to support people and organisations in a tangible way for meeting their unique needs. It's ever-evolving and adapting through a growing network of facilitators who are each paving their own path for incorporating a more nature-connected approach to a diverse range of situations. It's beautiful how these principles can have a place in each of our lives, and I hope you enjoy listening through to consider this all through your own personal lens. New episodes of this podcast are added every other Tuesday, and they're available in both video and audio-only formats. Find them on YouTube in your favourite podcasting platform. And don't forget to subscribe to keep up to date. Right, let's get stuck in. Hi Sarah, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time out and it would be great if you could kick us off by maybe just a bit of an introduction to yourself and also your work with Think Like a Tree. Oh, thank you very much for having me on your on your We Are Carbon podcast, which I think is an absolutely fa- fantastic uh, name and a fantastic idea as well. So um, I founded Think Like a Tree five years ago and really it was, it came out of a culmination of lots of different ideas and and uh, research and reading and studies that I'd been doing in particular sort of came out of my permaculture journey. So I had studied permaculture. We live in the National Forest here in uh, Dar- South Derbyshire. And I studied permaculture really as a way of designing the land. But then the deeper I got into um, this kind of design process, which is um, you know, brings in natural living systems principles, the, the more I realise that it can be used for people, um, organisations, social situations, etc. So I got more and more into that direction. And so Think Like a Tree was, uh, you know, is really my response at thinking, how can we bring living systems principles? So, you know, the really the secrets of nature's success and apply them to our own lives as as individuals for things like health, well-being and, you know, how to live as a good person on this world, on this planet, but also for organisations and businesses to, you know, to again have a model that really has been tried and tested over 3.8 billion years and is really the only operating system that's ever been proved to be resilient on on planet earth and also you know to shift away from some of the current paradigms that we're all living in so these sort of mindsets that um 
show up in the actions that destroy the ecosystems and lead to mental health crises. So it's really, you know, a combination of lots of different um, disciplines. So not just permaculture, but things like regenerative economics, regenerative business, biomimicry. We can see over and over again that there are living systems that are in these disciplines that we can draw together. And my aim with Think Like a Tree is to try and bring that to a, a wider audience. I hope that made sense. <laughs> it absolutely does. I'm really very interested in this idea of expanding upon that permaculture starting point. It obviously started um, as something on the land, but a lot of people do integrate that. And it's just a natural course of action to see, well, where do these principles apply elsewhere in our lives and in organizations or in even designing for an entire community or a city or, you know, what can we do with that? Because it's so um, just just at the heart of it, 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 it can be so integral to the way that things run in a circular economy and this kind of regenerative ideas and mindset. On that, I think that the the path from permaculturist to um, applying um, living systems design process and principles to people it's that's a well-trodden path so i'm hugely inspired by people like luby mcnamara for example who wrote people and permaculture and her her cultural emergence work as well but what i realized as well is there are so many people out there who either have no interest in gardening or growing or, and we don't all need to be smallholders, gardeners or growers. And in fact, we, you know, we can't all be. Um, so what's the route to accessing this sort of vast bank of wisdom for people who aren't interested in, in growing, but are deeply interested in nature and being nature, being inspired by nature? So, you know, I, I would say that, you know, a certain percentage of my uh you know um uh, par course participants or um clients are have some familiarity in in with permaculture but i would say the vast majority don't and i think that that's where uh what gets me really excited is actually bringing these living systems ideas to audiences who wouldn't have otherwise engaged with them and that's, you know, that's hugely rewarding for me and then and then for them as well. So I have a lot of people who come who maybe have a health background or, you know, who who've done some forest bathing training or, um, you know, have have children that they're supporting. And so bringing to these these wider audiences is, is really hugely exciting. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really excited to get stuck in as well and get some more details about the work itself. But before we go really deep into that, if it's not sort of too personal, I'd love to learn more about your own integration of the ideas of working with nature to support you through your chronic illness that was something that, that occurred and sounds like it was quite an inspiration in your life. So if you could maybe share a little about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and. So I, I have a lifelong chronic illness, which has had various flare ups. It's a genetic related illness. Um, and 
it's had various flare ups at different times of, of my life. And it has really, you know, impacted the, the direction that I've gone in. But I feel like it that's been in a really positive way. So, you know, it's used it as a sort of source of wisdom and, you know, other other people are interested in that as well. And and obviously it gives me a huge amount of empathy for anybody else also living with a chronic illness. And originally um, my plan was to uh, do a more kind of land-based permaculture consultancy and, and design. And I was also tra trained as a forest school leader. So I worked with children for a while um, with forest school and also doing eco schools. So bringing permaculture ideas really to children. Um, but all of that is very, you know, much um, more energy intensive and really my my health didn't wasn't really compatible. And back in 2015, I had a huge health crash, which left me um, in bed really for about 18 months. And at the time, I didn't have a diagnosis. Uh, so it was it was hugely problematic. But I had. Um, I, w I was already um, on the permaculture diploma journey so that you start off in permaculture with a permaculture design certificate course, which is quite an in-depth course, but then you build on that in a diploma. Um, and uh, in this diploma, you have to build up 10 different designs. And I started very firmly with land-based designs for um, my own small holding, but also for a community woodland social enterprise that I um, co-founded called Whistlewood Common. Um, um, but then gradually what I realised, I mean, I just after about a year of being in bed and I at, at times I could hardly stand upright. I was so dizzy and, you know, a lot of really all of my autonomic nervous system um, functions were totally dysregulated. So even basic things like breathing and heart rate and temperature regulation, you know, they were all totally all over the place. And after about a year, I was so fed up, as you can imagine, that I I just made a decision. And I remember the date. It was the 6th of April um, 2016. And uh, I just said, right, I'm going to design my way back to health. So I took the uh, the permaculture uh, tools and then a, a huge amount of wider reading uh, around nature inspired disciplines and did exactly that sort of literally put pen to paper and designed a, a, a road back to health. And of course, that drew in lots of different, um, you know, medical interventions and complementary therapies and but but I think one of the things that's made the most profound difference is actually the natural principles um that permaculture has a set of natural principles and then i sort of built on them and drew principles from other disciplines as well and really kind of reworded them and reframed them for individual um well-being and and health and of course this has had this had had a huge impact on my mental health as well so you know psychologically um and also the illness that i have does have a, a neurological component where you know in 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 your worst uh phases brain function goes all foggy and things like that so it what i found was these natural principles were really hugely helpful for my health and well-being and also to be able to sort of manage my energy so that i could really 
engage in that deep healing that was needed to sort of get me back um you know to a position of being able to function in any meaningful way and then you know o over the last however many years that is now six seven years um i've built on that and and now really am able to you know work in in what other people would consider a pretty normal way um but of course behind that there's a deep sense of of knowing what's right for me um so what i also did along the way was drew these natural principles together created a uh, a program called the think like a tree program and then building on that wrote the book think like a tree the natural principles guide to life where i drew together um somewhere around 42 natural principles put them in categories and then just gave some examples of how where we might see them in nature and, and what people can learn from them for their own lives so for me personally the energy natural principles have been absolutely huge so nature doesn't really waste energy um but nature doesn't do perfection either nature doesn't do straight lines so we can go with the flow we can embrace that complexity and then uh, um, other principles that have been hugely helpful are around rest and pause and actually being able to transform that those sort of feelings of feeling lazy or guilty when you take time for self-care to actually totally transform that to see that rest and uh, pause time as really productive so I either allowing you setting you up for future you know it's like dormancy with you know a forest in in winter and then sets sets itself up for that burst of energy in spring but we don't call a forest lazy do we so why do we why do we put those labels on ourselves or, or on, on other people so that those types of things have have really really helped me in uh my, my own well-being journey and then of course this is all relevant to not just health and uh, not just mental health and well-being but also you know every aspect of our lives our businesses our economies etc yeah no that's really i think something that so many people would empathize with you with regards to the chronic illness the um, endless fatigue and the then that building up like you say it's affecting then your mental well-being because you've got that sense that you should be getting on or you want to be getting on with things but your body is telling you to do otherwise and um, I think along with empathizing with that a lot of people are struggling with that a lot of people would relate to it directly in a way that this is so relevant to them to, to hear what you've got to say on this and I suppose the ideas that you've touched upon there, the principles of rest and of um, going with the flow, that all is something that the structure of our societies has detached us from. So, so the idea that actually you just say, well, I'm not going to feel guilty about it, I need a rest, and that then in turn will propel me with more energy and, and achieve more because I've taken that rest. But people don't always have the space in their lives for that. So I suppose that's really, um, it's quite inspirational to hear that that's taken you from a place of um, feeling like 
you're you're going in one direction and it's turned things around and like you say you could work in a normal way you would just sort of consider that to be be quite um a normal routine that you can engage with um how how much do you associate those principles within that healing journey do you consider them to be very integral for you Oh, absolutely. Yes. And and I think the, the really uh, great thing about them is that anybody can go out and have a walk in their local park or, you know, their local nearby nature and they're right there in front of you. You know, if you see a dandelion pushing up through the cracks in a city pavement, you've got a really inspiring example of resilience. So what I really wanted to ensure when putting these um, principles, the book and the courses together was that these were really, really accessible for people to learn from themselves. So this is not some, um, you know, academic exercise where we're just thinking up ideas. I mean, there are plenty of psychology books that have people just make, you know, make things up. Um, And they just they don't fit that living systems paradigm. But I wanted not only to show how living systems work, but also to to allow people to access and learn from nature directly. So, you know, this is my my book of principles is not some definitive, you know, Bible of principles. This is just a starting point for people to have those light bulb moments or that, you know, those moments of enlightenment themselves out within nature but it doesn't have to be go out into the wilderness or some you know forest remote forest or whatever these things are all around us and of course the most important thing to remember of course is that we are living systems ourselves so we are nature and so you know one of the fundamental elements of think like a tree is for people to uh, reconnect with that part of themselves that sees themselves as part of the the living world um and you know i wanted to go back to what you were saying about the systems that we're living in because we're living in uh, according to a paradigm that's really out of date it's actually a, a paradigm that's only been around for maybe five six hundred years of this sort of me- mechanistic reductionist so seeing people and businesses and organizations and societies as machines and we're just cogs in that it's just totally wrong so if we shift that paradigm to seeing ourselves as as um part of living systems then hopefully you know those systems will start to change to reflect that as well so you're right when we feel guilty or feel lazy uh, because we are, you, you know, because we're ill, that's that's nothing to do with being ill. That's to do with the mindset that we're raised in. And too often, I think, personal development um, methodologies blame the individual and say, you know, if you make the decision to do this, things will change. It, totally ignoring that systemic context that actually you know we're all raised in a in a system that encourages us to you know be always on be always answering our emails being you know not saying no to things feeling guilty so we we have to the 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 natural principles view is to look at the big picture so to look at the systems 
not just look at the individuals. So, you know, when people come on, on our courses, they're encouraged to see, you know, look inside themselves, but also very much to look at the, uh, we take a sort of tree ring approach, you know, that concentric circles that you often see in, um, it repeated across the living world, you know, that we, we look at ourselves just as part of other systems and that we can see ourselves as an ecosystem and then, and then build on that to then have um, wider influence, but not forgetting the context that, of the systems that we're living within. Yeah, I think it's really interesting something you touched on there regarding we haven't lived this way for a very long time. That's difficult to understand in the context of our short lifetimes and even maybe the sort of generations we can relate to previously, but maybe like you, you suggested 600 years of mechanistic thinking. It's in the scheme of things very short, in the evolution of who we are and how we connect to the world. Um, we can be of the mind that it's this is the right way to do things and progress has moved us towards this because that's good. You know, progress is good, but um, I think it feels like um, it's, it's, it's more inherent, more natural, more healing to, to look towards how we connect with nature rather than how we detach ourselves from it. Um, the, yeah. the idea that you've taken these living systems and taken that inspiration from all manner of different um, contexts, different ways of looking at it, different inspirations that you have um, found. And you, I think you said 42 maybe principles that you've touched on, which is clearly um, just a, a baseline of then that that kind of can lead on to, to any, any other way of interpreting them. These can be um, integrated into our lives in all manner of different ways and for all different reasons. So you've given us some examples for your own healthcare journey and how that can support both the body and the mental um, health. And I think what would be really interesting, because we can't possibly discuss the whole scope of them, we can see how everything is connected and, and all of the direction that you're coming from with this. But perhaps you could offer us a couple of specific examples, maybe, maybe a couple of very different examples of how you might take one of those principles and apply it to a, a given situation. Yeah, so um, I'm thinking in the resilience principles category, there's a principle that says each important need should be supported by several different elements or strategies. Um, this is taken or slightly reworded from a permaculture principle. But um, the uh, if you if you look at a tree's need for water, for example, it does doesn't just get um, water from one particular source or uh, um, have it in, in one particular way. So it'll have shallow roots to get that surface water as it falls. It'll angle its leaves or capture water on its leaves um, to, to slow the flow down. It will have a deep tap root that, um, you know, can access water from the water table for example you know and obviously different trees in different uh, physical locations have a, uh, created and uh, evolved different strategies so the baobab tree will expand its trunk and contract to holding water in it 
So you've got all these different strategies for just meeting that single need, which obviously is a fundamentally important need of a tree, which is water. And the same principle can be applied to, say, uh, business, you know, a business. Um, if, if we've got uh, a, a particular need for um, income generation, for example, in a business. Um, now, obviously, what we hope that we're doing when we're moving towards uh, evolving businesses is actually having income not as the primary reason for that business existing. So the primary reason will be some kind of purpose and vision, um, whether that be a not-for-profit or a for-profit. And we're seeing that in the evolution of, for example, B Corps, where they actually have written in their, uh, their purpose into their uh, legal documents. Uh, but nevertheless, you know, um, businesses almost certainly need some income. Um, and to have a more diverse, more diverse strands of income can lead to greater resilience. So we can see that, for example, with um, art, artists and art businesses, you know, that they maybe they, they'll have different types of art, which will be aimed at different audiences and different income levels. They'll also have maybe teaching um, income as well. And so we certainly saw that in COVID, uh, when COVID hit, that people who had these this more diversity of different um strands of income and that when one that one fell away then others could you, you know come in and um and fill that void so you know i always advise businesses to look for the, that diversification in income to complement and that is directly you know a living systems principle yeah that's a great example and i can see how that not only you can take that then to the whole economy or a community and say that obviously in terms of COVID, we, we saw that reflect in so many different ways, whether it was the individual business or the entire of a country having cut off from supply of export, imports, that kind of thing. They were, they were meeting the needs um, of, of, of the people through one solution as opposed to many and then I can also see how the principles connect into one another because you've just described this principle of resilience and meeting the need in numerous ways but then you also touched upon earlier the idea that nature doesn't need perfection doesn't strive for perfection and they they, they seem to interlink because I suppose our human need for perfection would be around the idea that if there's only one solution, then you've got to get that right. Because, you know, that puts a pressure on that solution to get it perfect. Whereas if you know if that just lets itself down a little bit um, at some point, but it's being held up by all of these other diverse means to support that need, maybe maybe we don't feel so obsessed with creating perfection. So um, I think I think there's there's definitely... Um, a whole a whole kind of exploration of all these principles it seems quite exciting to me that um, you you've created 42 that 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 kind of is is blowing my mind a little bit of, of, of to see those written down and have a look at you know how, how they all interlink um, that that's really yeah 
fabulous. Yeah, and and I think the important thing is that when we're looking at any um, natural principles or any any nature inspired framework, you know, this is is uh, just one of many, many, many that that exist out there. Is that we remember the everything is connected natural principle, which is fundamental to all of it. So. Uh, I do really find that when I take people on a journey of zooming out to see that big picture, to see the connections and, and to see what's really important. And we do that as um, in various different ways. We do that in terms of visioning exercise. We do that in terms of um, being really encouraging people's creativity and coming up with ideas and inspiration with the idea that there is there are no wrong answers because that's how nature does it. You know, there's a huge amount of trial and error, this sort of action learning. Let's 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 do something. Let's try it. Let's see what works. Let's modify it. And then we'll let, let's go again. Um, but you have to leave room in there for a for, like you say, realizing that there's that no, no idea or answer or solution is ever perfect. Um, but you have to leave room for errors and that this process is going to be messy and that we can't we have to let go of controlling every aspect of it and and so therefore when we're being um guided in this new which is essentially you know a paradigm shift a whole mindset shift a new way of thinking um and being we we have to uh step into that discomfort we have to let go of the this controlling mindset that's been around for so long and this failure mindset really so this idea that we can control everything leads to the failure mindset because if you realize that you can't control everything and we can't control anything anyway it's only a it's only a an illusion uh you know when we when we realize that we can't control everything and you know we 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 can just influence things and embrace that um th that messiness really is hugely liberating it's hugely empowering because suddenly anything's possible because you're you know because you're going to be rewarded for just doing stuff rather than being rewarded for if some abstract, you know, thing says that it's a success or not. Um, you know, so so this is an initial discomfort, but once you move through that discomfort, it's got huge personal and frankly economic rewards. So when we're talking about businesses and individuals gaining income, you know that the innovation that that unleashes within an organization that ability to see every individual not just the people that are in certain job roles as important as innovators as creative then we in, unleash a huge amount of potential in our organizations and in our communities yeah absolutely i can see that um definitely how how big that can be just that um that liberation as you've called it. it it feels like it's in such stark contrast to the way that we um we teach our children right from the very beginning through our education system through the employment system 
the fear of failure and then the guilt of not being able to to meet your goals on time that those kind of ideas are drilled into us so this shift in mindset do you consider it to have a growing relevance today um and if and if you do, do you, why do you think that is i think it's always been relevant and needed um but you know the i think the one re, you know one of the reasons that it's gaining ground right now is because it's so obvious that the current methods and systems and mindsets and paradigms have failed you know it's so obvious that a heating planet is a you know caused by human action is a huge failure of the mindsets that un, underpin that um you know the same with the with ecological destruction and you know just just seeing uh other living beings as a resource to use and 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 our language reflects that you know natural capital and you know natural resources and that, that kind of language so i think that it's always been needed and if we'd have shifted you know if we hadn't shifted all those hundreds of years ago or had shifted back a bit quicker then we wouldn't be in the mess uh, so much as we are now but the, you know but one of the things about humans is it's it's, it's very difficult to um to turn those paradigms around um but when you do things can happen really quickly and uh, so i i'm always a sort of i'm always an optimist really because for me it it seems really clear and really obvious and if if we could if we could have those shifts the actions follow um you know so and what we do is we unleash the potential of of billions of people to be a force for good this is one of the reasons i you know i like uh, the the idea of regenerative rather than sustainability so i know you know i i never really felt very comfortable with the word term sustainability and I, and i know that a lot of other people you know feel the same and i couldn't put my finger on quite why you know because essentially i you know as an environmentalist and i was doing you know all of this stuff for really pretty much all of my life um but the term regenerative is all about creating life. You know, it's like creating life, creating the conditions con conducive to life, as Janine Benyus, the founder of Biomimicry Institute, said. Um, and creating life is so much more exciting than sustainability, which is is all about, you know, it, it evokes that emotion of, oh, what do I have to give up? Or, you know, this is all about having less. Uh, or, on the other hand, it might be about sustaining something that I actually don't want to sustain at all. I don't want to sustain the mental health crises that we're in. I don't want to sustain the ecological destruction and the climate crisis. So what are we what are we sustaining? Whereas regenerating life is something that all living beings do and have an urge to do. And that includes humans. And we find that incredibly exciting and empowering. As long as, and this is the big if, we can create the systems that allow and empower individual people and collectively to do that. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I've never liked the word sustainable and the language within this space is difficult because um, on the one hand, you're trying to use words that people associate with 
the sort of the, the group of work that you're encompassing. But on the other hand, those associations aren't accurate or they're not what you're, you know, 100 percent working towards. And um, I do. I, I like that idea of what you've identified there. Sustainable says we're going to keep things the same. How can we best keep things the same? and maintain what we already have, which is not inspiring. And it often includes, how can I restrict myself? How can I go without? Whereas regenerative, it's all about creation. It's all about saying, how can we move forward abundantly to me? And and that's stark contrast. And I think that regenerative, in my mind, that that is what nature teaches us. Sustainable is kind of more of a human mechanistic thought pattern of how can we, how can we make this this resource continue to be in use. Um, uh, There is, there's a to some people that difference might be subtle, but I think once you you sort of encompass the mindset of it, it, it just feels huge. Yeah, it is huge. And and it also encourages us to step into that inner journey as well, which I think sustainability doesn't in the same way. Um, Because if we're talking about creating life, that's an inherently, that's an inherently kind of heart based thing. And, you know, traditionally, I think that uh, business, uh, uh, you know, and individuals as well, to, to a certain extent, have been really afraid to step into that sort of heart space um it's all about how can we think our way out of that problem whereas regenerative is you know com- combines the head heart and hands really and it values the inner journey as much as the outer action um and so it it encourages to, us to look at things quant- qualitatively rather than just quant- having things that we can quantify because sustainability, you know, we can quantify, yes, we've reduced X amount of carbon in our business or we, you know, we've planted X amount of trees and that's, you know, those things and there's nothing wrong with any of that. It's just, you know, it's, it's stuck in that mechanistic quantitative thinking. Whereas actually if you, as a business um, owner, take your, um, you know, the pe- the people in your business, your team on a an inner journey to spark their innovation and to become more creative at um, creating life and, and expanding and growing your business in a in a healthy way. Then that's less quantifiable there may be some things that will come out of it like you know uh, you, you, your bottom line is likely to to grow but there are a huge amount of other things that you know that that employee then goes back to their family with a new way of living and in, in uh, you know a new uh happiness really and and being inspired because humans have got that kind of innate drive to create to be part of something and it seems to me that in a a huge amount of businesses that is just absolutely squashed and then business owners wonder why people are you know silently quitting and and all these new phrases um well yeah that that's because of the the, really that this sort of this whole paradigm that that businesses are operating in 
Yeah, I think it, it, it brings to mind the idea that we take business too seriously. And in that need for control, we, we like the predictability. So, the, the, you know, this is the uniform, this is the suit, this is the expectation, this is what you do to achieve this outcome, and that's predictable. And that takes away the idea that actually inherently being human, it's um, the passion that drives us, the engagement, the um, excitement, the fun, the colour. And if you've got a workforce that you can somehow integrate that, that passion and drive in the individuals into the same objective that the company as a whole requires, then you would think, well, that one's going to leap forward, but it's certainly not going to be predictable and it's certainly not going to be the same journey as what you could replicate in, in another circumstance. And so, yeah, the, the, the sense of, uh, of, of austere seriousness, that that is what business equals and that's because life is about meeting a monetary need and i think that maybe that 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 whole that paradigm of that is um holding us back really from the growth that we could achieve absolutely and and it's by no means a problem of um profit driven um businesses so you know that in in charities for example and um you know public i mean look at the nhs i have a huge amount of people come on my courses who are burned out health workers, GPs, nurses, you know, you know, midwives across the board. So this is an organization that is inherently purpose driven and does amazing things for patients. And I massively love the NHS. You know, I, I obviously am a frequent flyer in the sense of uh, have, have used the NHS a lot over my lifetime with living with a chronic illness. Um, but in terms of that holistic you know, whole systems view of it, it, it may well be good for the patients, but what about the people that are working within that organization? And this, you know, this is true for many charities as well. They've got this great mission and vision, um, but actually it's not reflected in the day-to-day -day working practices or the systems really that the uh, individual um, team members are operating in and, there, and there's a great um, example of an alternative which is um, Burtzorg which is um, started in in the Netherlands but actually is is now in many other countries which is a local community care company it's actually privately owned um, but it took this regenerative approach so it has small teams uh, that are um, uh, organized around particular locations and particular groups of clients and that you know clients that are in in the community uh, and every time that a team of six reaches a team of 12 it splits into another team of six so it's it's like that evolutionary sort of cell multiplication model but then they have very strong central mentoring and uh, information that these teams can access but essentially they're self-organizing so there's very very little management there's a there are lots of coaches and mentors but there are very few actual management fu functions so things like schedules and and uh you know dishing up the 
who's going to see which client. It's all done in that local team level who are responsible for that particular location. And they develop these connections with other local organizations, with the family members, with uh, other providers to create this really, really strong support structure around the, the client in the community. So we can see this sort of one of the characteristics is is decentralization. But of course, what that does is it unleashes a real potential in the local teams by empowering them to find the solutions that are right for their particular client and their particular location, because all the, you know, all locations are different. Um, and that joined up approach, collaborative approach is something that we see over and over again repeated in nature. So, you know, it's something that we really do need to learn from rather than having this sort of competitiveness mindset that somehow if, you know, if if somebody else is offering a similar product, then they're, they're our competitor. Well, you know, maybe we can talk about how we can uh, strengthen connections and then complement each each other, for example. Yeah, no, it's it's fantastic to 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 hear about different examples of how these principles can be incorporated and are being incorporated into organisations. It's very inspiring because that gives us a model to to incorporate into our own work potentially that that we know we've we've got a bit of guidance there for. Your work started off um, very much focused on the personal side of things, and then it's evolved and now it includes personal and business and organisation. So was that in itself organic? Did you recognise a need for these principles in business? Yes, I mean, it, right from the start, I could see that these principles could be uh, applied across uh, all different disciplines. And I've used them as well within a community setting. So I used them as in a community woodland social enterprise, Whistlewood Common, that I co-founded in back in 2013. So I had been using these principles in an organisational context. So um, the, the when we were when we took over um, the land, which is ten acres of land, uh, is Whistlewood. Then the I was the lead permaculture designer for the project for for the land, but we also used permaculture de design to design the organisation and this organisational structures as well. So having this sort of circles approach of different teams empowered to do, um, you know, to take on different roles. Uh, and so, so I'd, I'd been, had used it in an organizational context. Um, and then uh, the thing like, think like a tree became a network relatively quickly so other people came on board and wanted to train up as facilitators uh, and a couple of those facilitators were really interested in business in particular and and jk mcquinn who is a um a coach for businesses and she does a lot of work workplace well-being and leadership coaching she she and I sat down and said, right, okay, you know, let's take this business idea forwards. 
So it's developed organically in a way out of that mycelial network, which is our think like a tree network of facilitators. And what I love about it is that the the network is is based around the idea of the the, the mycelial connections in a forest. So I consider myself to be like the hub tree or some people call it a mother tree, or, although I don't particularly like gendering um, nature in that way. Um, and then, you know, so, so I see myself as having that supportive role uh, rather than, you know, the traditional top down. I could have chosen other business models so that I will, you know, had control, but no, wanted it to be able to evolve organically. Um, so each facilitator has their own uh, business and then really can take the ideas and the principles in whichever direction uh, they the, the, they're, they're sort of moved to, to do. Uh, so so JK and I then started working on an offering for um, organizations and businesses. And of course, you know, what we draw on there is is much, much wider than than. Um, permaculture, for example. So there is a huge body of work around regenerative economics, regenerative business, both in the UK and, and the US and around the world. And of course, you know, we, we also draw on uh, things like indigenous wisdom, because it's really um, heartening to see that with the rise of these regenerative disciplines, you know, that there's that recognition, um, and this is happening in permaculture as well, that actually we are uh, we are drawing on essentially indigenous wisdom that is being interpreted in different forms. So you know to say that humans moved away from this, well, actually it was only some humans. It was only you know that Western European based mindset, and actually there are indigenous peoples around the world that have been using um, living systems principles that. Um, you know, are much, much less destructive. And um, one of my one of my favourite um, books is Braiding Sweetgrass, which uh, by Robin Wall Kimmerer. So, from from a for an indigenous uh, slash scientific perspective, because she is a um, a scientist as well, that that's hugely sort of enlightening for me as somebody with with. with uh, no direct experience of that to try to have such voices sort of inform the work I think is deeply important as well yeah it's that there's so much um scope to all of this isn't there because you start with these principles and then they apply to many different people in many different circumstances and then you take that into an organization or a community and that's then a web of different integrations of, of all these different people. So you have um, developed a network of facilitators, if you've, as you've mentioned, and then they presumably are teaching in their own way and their own style. Have you maybe something we could sort of explore a little bit is the uniqueness of their different journeys? Yes, and, and they're all different. I mean, I've got... Um you know, people from all sorts of backgrounds in in the network. And um, it's just so wonderful when that, you know, it it's always exciting for me to have new people come in and then they bring their own perspectives and ideas and enthusiasm. 
Um, so, for example, you know, one person um, in in the network was a midwife, midwife for um, many, many, many years and had to retire on on ill health grounds. And she came to me oh, about five years ago and did the Think Like a Tree program to really design a new way forward after this um, sort of enforced retirement. And she wanted to do something um, business wise, um, but really wanted to stay well away from midwifery and, and that kind of background. And so o over the last five years has developed up new businesses with Nature Connection. And then now she's come on board as a, a uh, trained up last year as a facilitator and what she's found through engaging with this design process that we use within think like a tree so it, so what we have within think like a tree program and and also um, the business programs as well is is a design cycle so this is basically allows people so let's take one step back again when you embrace these regenerative nature inspired pro approaches you need to be looking at the big picture but our our brains want to find patterns we want we want to make meaning out of things so what i've tried to do with what i offer with the programs and and to a certain extent in the book as well is allow people to access that holistic joined up wisdom in in more of a sort of step-by-step -step approach so the design cycle that we use is step-by-step -step, but then we can use that to see the big picture if that makes sense so through through this process and that um the this person has gone through it several several times then she realized that actually her midwifery whereas previously she'd seen it as a source of um stress really frankly uh she saw that as a as a source of you, you know unique skills and talent and is now developing a program for uh expectant parents i think like a tree inspired program for expectant parents so this you know bringing the natural principles to people at that stage of life that we know actually is is really crucial both in terms of nurturing the next generation but also often people and before they become parents so we the, the the research shows that nature connectedness sort of ebbs and flows throughout our lives so it goes way down in teenage teenage years and comes back uh sort of in the 20s and then certainly when people become parents they seem to become much more nature connected and then they start thinking about what's this kind of future that i want for my family so this facilitator was you know she really wants to uh get to people at that stage that's so influential in terms of the future generations of of change makers and and people so that is just wonderful to see how a past career um in you know can be built upon to create something really magical sort of in combination with the think like a tree sort of and natural principles that's, that's a fabulous example you can really feel the um, importance of that work that body of work is going to become so valuable to people at 
such a milestone in their lives and uh... I think it reflects you know very much that sort of inner outer journey as well that we um, support people to go on so you know that 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 idea of often when we're facing a new phase of life or we you know we've we're forced to through illness or, or whatever then there's that real um urge just to throw out everything that's gone before and let let's start something new and we see this on a global scale or even in gardening with this idea that we dig up the soil you know we plow vast areas and then we sow new crops um that's industrial agriculture that's not nature that's not how nature does things nature doesn't plow up the soil um unnecessarily we sometimes get things like forest fires or we get you know herds of pigs going through for example churning up ground but largely the 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 the, the ground conditions stay stable because that is the most resilient form for for nature to build on so this inner journey reflects that really that we can build on past experiences however happy or unhappy or uncomfortable they've been you know similarly with me and my my own illness building on that then you know we see these as as resources um to, to to be built on rather than things to you know to to feel that we've got to just uh, move on from yeah that's great um in terms of we've touched on the language of sustainability and how that um it's challenging, isn't it, to really speak and express the work that you're doing when we have this um, need within business and big organisations even to take on a sustainable model and to meet certain criteria, which is perhaps considerably more prescriptive than what your work encompasses. So I wonder if you could maybe elaborate a little bit on the types of organisations or perhaps the people within organisations that your work is particularly well suited to, um, as opposed to sort of sustainable business um, on the whole. Yes, I mean, it can be used at businesses at all scale because it can be used, you know, say in a, in a team of a, a large business. But, you know, I really enjoy working with uh, small and medium sized organisations. And uh, for, for me, the organisational structure is not important because, you know, we, we whether it's uh, pri private sector or charity or not for profit, then everybody's got something to learn from from this approach um and we there is a significant overlap so basically what we provide for people are frameworks and there's there are new ways of thinking but frameworks to actually work through inspired by living system strands so um we in in our organizational work we use ecosystem strands rather than just rather than those natural principles um we do bring in natural principles but these ecosystem strands are essentially when you're looking at a business or an organization it is an ecosystem so these strands are just a different way of wording or accessing you know the same information but we provide frameworks and the, those allow this innovative uh, creativity to emerge. It's different ways of uh, 
leaders and their teams working together, different collaborative approaches, different ways of, like I say, unleashing that creativity, shifting culture, engaging um, every organization, uh, sorry, every individual within the organization and also work on what is it, what is the, um, one of one of the principles is around valuing diversity. So every changing system so that every individual can bring what is their unique, uh, Carol Sanford calls this, uh, who, who's uh, written lots of books on regenerative business, she calls this their essence. You know, what is unique about that individual that they can bring to creating life within the whole of that organization so we do a lot of work around this but essentially what these frameworks also allow organizations to do is bring in any existing frameworks that they want to access so it could be you know carbon reduction it, it we work with the sustainable development goals we work with donor economics for example so these can all be brought in to these overall frameworks that we we work within so it's got a unique flexibility so it can apply to absolutely any organization that they can learn from these ecosystem strands and apply this design cycle but essentially they're then bringing in any tools or methodologies that they feel appropriate or maybe they're already working within. Yeah, um, I think that something that sort of really ties it all together, you've, you've said that valuing of diversity and that to me, the magic of nature, this ability for nature to continually create in these ways that are actually difficult for us to dissect and understand almost because there's so much going on there so much symbiosis the defining kind of core of all of that is that valuing of diversity the idea that there are unique roles to such a degree that there's waste from one creature is valuable to another creature and and therefore the uniqueness creates the cycling and that's very much opposed to what we're used to um, we have um, we have more of a sense of valuing very specific roles in society, very specific skills, so that people have this aspiration to be the same. Um, and and so I, I love that what you've described there is the business ecosystem recognizes that kind of drawing all of that in. And does that work? Are there ways to make that work in in a in a group setting, where where we can we can value the differences between people as their as their core contribution? Yes, I I think um, any group setting can really really benefit from the these tools and this mindset shift really of valuing uh, diversity, and it's about creating um ways of working really whereby that people are given a voice um and people are acknowledged i mean how many times in meetings or maybe when we go to conferences or things like that the people in the audience or in the in the room are not even acknowledged that they're there really they're just considered to be like passive 
and I know, you know, when I when I'm at a meeting and I look around and I and I hear a speaker. So I was at a business conference recently. It was only small. And the and the breakout workshops were essentially monologues from so-called experts. And I and this was a, a business organization that was was for businesses that wanting to do good in the world. So this this was, um, you know, not not profit focused. Um, and the it, it really struck me that we had so much wisdom in the room that just wasn't being harnessed. Now, I know that in conferences, time is short, but, you know, there are some really creative solutions, for example, about creating communities around that, about, uh, you know, about having workshops that are participatory, um, having meeting check-ins, for example, where you, you know, you just check in with everybody that's in a in a team meeting, sort of, how are you? It, it acknowledges the humanity really of the people rather than seeing them as, uh, you know, just like, you know, what work are you doing and what have you got to do? It, it, you know, we, we need people to be bringing their whole humanity to work. And so just subtle changes to start with around acknowledging the, the value and the potential. So it's not just about identifying what people can do. Uh, now it's about seeing that every individual has a potential that if we support them that they will then you know be be able to unleash around this focus and that's also where cross-disciplinary teams really really help as well so you know we we get people from across business areas focused around a particular customer base or that you know that that kind of focus and then are, are allowed to bring forward ideas or encouraged to bring forward ideas but again letting go of that sort of failure mindset really because it's it's you know you'd think in a way that that employees who are unhappy would be really happy given this extra sort of um, power but there's this real fear around well okay so they're asking me for these ideas if it goes wrong I'm going to get the sack or I'm going to get penalized in some way. So it's it needs to be a whole holistic view around that whole uh, shift um, towards towards this most more innovative, collaborative uh, way of working. Yeah, I suppose there's an, an awful lot to be taken on board. So gradual changes is, is the most comfortable. Yeah, that's it. And, and the interesting thing is that um, when you encourage people to step into this new way of thinking, actually, uh, what can seem like small changes can actually unleash really big potential. Um, so, yes, we have to step into some, some discomfort, but we're certainly not talking about ripping everything up and starting again. Um, you know, bring, bringing in these these changes can be quite fundamental um to to actually the the way that an organization works but also you know if 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 money's a factor you know their profit profitability and uh their their customer satisfaction that kind of thing yeah 
it's all interlinked. So this has been a fantastic um, opportunity. I really have enjoyed speaking with you. And I think if we could maybe just some final words would be really useful because this is it's so integral to all different people at all different times of their lives. Maybe you could summarise the different stepping stones that people can take to get involved. Yes, absolutely. So um, the starting point for, for individuals, and this is also relevant to what I call what we call solopreneurs. So, so um, people who, who essentially working on their own, like coaches, for example, um, then the Think Like a Tree program is, is the place to start. And that is usually online. It's over six weeks. We also do a three day intensive, which is you come to lovely Derbyshire and uh, stay for three days. Uh, it, it, we've got one course coming up in August this year. And then you work through this 12 stage design cycle with bringing in the natural principles and the focus is some aspect of, of your life. So um, whether that be to do with your own sort of business, if you're if, like I say, if you're a solo business or whether that be supporting children, health, well-being, um, planning retirement, career tra change ideas, people, you know, this this program has been running over uh, well over five years and hundreds of people have, have designed their lives with every design being unique it's what's wonderful for me to sort of see this sort of blossoming of, of different things and then for businesses and organizations um that we have a think like a forest program and bespoke programs for uh businesses and organizations so you can all you can find it all at the website which is www.thinklikeatree.co.uk um, and uh, you can see the different offerings for individuals, for businesses and organisations, um, and also um, things coming up for families. Uh, like I mentioned, the um, uh, expectant parents, but we also have uh, adolescents uh, programme as well coming up. So it's all evolving. And uh, so if you haven't looked, if you've been to the website before and you haven't looked recently, then please come back and, uh, and join the email list as well, because that's obviously always the best way to, to keep in touch. Fantastic. That, that's, that's great. Well, I'll make sure there's a, a link in the description people can find that's really accessible so they can dig in and, and learn more. So thank you very much for your time. It's been delightful to speak with you. Yeah, thanks ever so much, Helen. And thank you for listening to this episode of We Are Carbon. Next time, I'll be joined by Richard Dunn to gain some insights about the Harmony Project. This follows on beautifully from the principles we've discussed here with Sarah, but brings the power of a nature-connected approach to our children's education. We discuss the project's ambitions along with its challenges and applications. New episodes are added every other Tuesday, so don't forget to subscribe to keep up to date. And let's keep figuring this all out together. <laughs>